0: Hello and welcome into the KE Report. I'm your host Shad Markowitz, and I'm speaking today with Robertson, also known as Goldfinger, on CEO runs Goldfinger Capital on YouTube, also tweets on X under the moniker CEO Technician, and also writes for Energy and Gold. Robert, you're a prolific man. You're out there. (laughs) uh, I saw you at the conferences. You've got multiple irons in the fire, but we always love having you on the show because you've got a good macro sense as well as a great technical sense. You follow the resource sector that we uh, are all involved with here that follow this channel. And I wanna start with the macro news of the week. We obviously had a big week with Jerome Powell's press conference after the FOMC meeting and all the gyrations from that and some of the messaging that came from it, as well as a couple different jobs figures ending this week with the climax here at the jobs report. What's your main takeaway from such a busy week in the macroeconomic sphere?
1: Thanks a lot for having me on again, Chad. Yeah, and I am am a busy guy, and and you didn't even mention my biotech site, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, this has been a busy week of economic data, and most of the data has been better than expected. And obviously, the big one is Friday morning's non-farm payrolls report, which blew away the top end of the estimates. I mean, I think you know u b s was at two hundred and ninety thousand, and they were the the top man on the street and it blew it blew that away at at three forty three fifty yeah, I mean, it's just incredibly strong, and then you get the meta earnings, which also blew away all the estimates, Amazon blew away the estimates a pretty good last twenty four hours in terms of data I mean certainly. It's not signaling that the economy is weak, that's for sure. You know, and then, we, yeah, we had Powell, you know, they made some changes to the statement on Wednesday, made it pretty clear they're done hiking, and it's time to think about easing, but thinking about is not the same as actually doing it. So they're kind of really holding off on that. They do not want to commit to a rate cut yet. They are leaving that open-ended. He said the same thing like 16 different ways. You know, The reporters kept asking him, trying to get some idea about March, and he just basically said, look, it's not the base case. If the March meeting was today, we would not be cutting rates. And I guess this jobs data and the ISM data that we got on Thursday, this is not, this is not gonna cause the Fed to cut in March, okay? I still think there's a possibility of a rate cut in March. I know that's crazy to say right now, just based upon that jobs report. But I still think there's a chance. It might be a ten or twenty percent chance, but but I still think there's a chance. But you know, at the end of the day, the Fed's going to be cutting in May, maybe June, and once they start, they're going to be cutting for more than a year. So we're going to get something like eight to ten rate cuts, a lot of easing. We're going to walk back the QT. And I think that's also just the market seeing that. That's part of the reason why the S and P's at 4960, and Meta just added 200 billion to its market cap. So you just just go by the earnings and the jobs data. The you know U.S. economy is the standout performer in the world right now.
0: Well, Robert, along the line of thinking you know there's a lot of markets that have already priced in the fact that the fed's going to be cutting rates and and you know if you think back just to the end of last year people were pricing in seven cuts eight cuts and there was even people assuming they would maybe start cutting in january then it shifted to march that it was hey it's a 95% and now that's shifted to may is it possible that a lot of this is so priced in that when we actually start seeing the cuts it becomes a sell the news event? Or do you think that it's just going to really solidify the fact that, hey, they're finally starting to cut and then we'll see even more action to the upside in a lot of these sectors?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of funny that we've been talking about the Fed cutting rates for, I feel like it's been more than a year now and it still hasn't happened. The market and market participants and market pundits like myself have been speculating about rate cuts for a year and it's Kept being pushed back by this incredibly robust economy that just does not want to crack. I mean, look, at this point, if they were to talk about a rate cut in in March or even May, that would be a catalyst for the market because it's basically been sort of pulled back. It's been walked back here this week. So it just all depends the timing of things and the market expectations. I mean, a, a month ago, we were thinking that March was a pretty good probability, and now it's a very, very tiny probability. But meanwhile, the S&P is 49.60. You've got Meta adding $200 billion to its market cap in one hour of trading. And even gold, the barbaric you know, relic that everybody loves to hate. That should not be doing well with blowout jobs reports is still above two thousand fifty dollars now. Yes, it's trading off of its highs from Thursday, but it's still at a near all time high, uh, you know, level. So, so this is a very interesting market dynamic now, and I think it has a lot of people scratching their heads.
0: Yeah, it is. A strange environment. Before we actually shift over to the commodities and the resource sector, just one more follow-up on the general equities. You know, they are breaking out to new all-time highs and have been really. The Dow started it before the Nasdaq and the S&P just in December or the end of last year, and now all the markets have hit. You know, a fever pitch. They've all broken out. Do you think that's keeping generalists placated to the point where there's not really, in a general sense, any interest in coming over to the commodity sector because the general markets are doing so well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few factors there. If I had to guess, I would think the number one factor is China is not doing well. And that's the number one driver for metals. So I think that's the first one. I think that, yeah, we've seen a major shift in how the economy is working. And the earnings from Meta and Amazon really punctuate that and you know, really emphasize that, it's kind of a brave new world. And also, I just think that, that China's the marginal buyer, you know, like, let's take copper, for example. So, you know, if China wanted to restock and build up its its copper stockpiles, copper would be 450 in two months, but they're having a pretty hard time. I don't think a lot of Americans or people in, you know, North America, really understand China or, or get how bad things might be there. and so I think that is kind of leaving an important bid on you know the sidelines. but yeah, I mean it, it, do you know do what works. So Amazon and meta and Microsoft are working. I guess don't overthink it until you get some strong evidence that it's not working. I, I will note that the earnings from Apple We're not as good as those other three so that you know the market seems to be you know looking past that for the most part but it's interesting that apple is the biggest company in the world and they're down on their earnings and they pointed to china being very soft for them so that's just that's just something to make note of
0: yeah it's interesting that once again we're back to the magnificent seven the mega cap tech stocks as an area that investors are not just seeking refuge, but seeing nice gains in. And we have noted with some other commentators that the market breadth is starting to narrow again. Some of the small caps not doing as well as the mega caps, but that is the trend. It feels like we're back in 2023 all over again here, but let's shift over to the commodities. I did catch your talk at the Metals Investor Forum that we just had in January, followed by the Vancouver Resource Investor Conference. We had AME Roundup after that. It was a bit of a busy kickoff to the year for the resource sector in Vancouver, and your talk, Robert, was really about two metals. The focus was on gold and copper. You just alluded to a little bit there, and in your presentation, you actually had a flag from China because it had the red on it for the red metal copper and the gold on it for gold. So let's pick it up there. Two metals, gold and copper, you already alluded to China not being in the market, but what other factors do you see driving those two metals this year?
1: Yeah. That was a great turnout there. It was a packed room on a Saturday morning. So that was very impressive there at MIF in Vancouver. Yeah, so you know, basically the two metals that that you need, the the only two ones that you need, you got gold, the monetary metal, and you got copper, which is the metal that we need to build the world and to, you know, rebuild it and, and rewire it and build out the power grid and build all those EVs that everybody's talking about, especially Biden. Um so yeah, I mean I think I think to really boil it down into a sound bite, I think gold is driven higher by the bipolar world that we are now in and China's relentless, you know, accumulation of gold to diversify its assets, its foreign exchange essentially. That's a big factor. I think the other big factor is the global central banks are easing now. They are entering an easing cycle. Yes, the Fed is is getting pushed out a little bit on its easing cycle, but it's coming. And the deficits in the US, the government debt, the national debt to GDP, 127% debt to GDP, with a likely $2 trillion deficit during this election year 2024, that is going to force the Fed's hand. The Fed has to help the Treasury finance itself, and staying at 5.5% fed funds is very restrictive. They can't stay here that that much longer. I mean, yeah, I know the jobs number, but I think the Treasury trumps it all. And all those Treasury papers have to be sold, they have to find buyers, and the government wants to finance itself at a lower interest rate at the end of the day. So I think that's a big factor in favor of gold. Copper is just very simple, supply, supply, supply. So even, even with Europe in stagnation, even with China having a very, very rough time in their economy the last you know year or so, property bubble has burst there. Even with all that going on, it's the supply side of the equation in copper that is just the big elephant in the room. Cobre, Panama, 350,000 metric tons of copper per year offline, and no sign that's going to come back online. It seems the people of Panama do not want that mine in operation for whatever reason. And that's a whole nother story. But at the end of the day, the supply is not there and the copper market is turning into deficit. So yeah, and the deficits only get bigger. 2025, 2026, the deficits get bigger and bigger year after year. And the new mine supply is just not there. You know, all the people in the mining sector get that, that mines do not get permitted. They do not get built in two years, more like 10 years, best case, and base case, more like 18 to 20 years. So it's just not there. Those new mega mines to fill that gap are not there. So we're going to be in deficit in copper for many years to come unless the global economy just goes into the gutter, you know. But I think my base case is copper has got to go above $5 in the next 18 months to sort of balance things out.
0: Well, I think a lot of people listening would be happy to see Dr. Copper back above 5 with the five handle on it again. It did get there briefly 2 years ago but it's been kind of stuck in a range, stuck in the muck since then, despite the overwhelmingly positive and bullish demand picture for the supply-demand fundamentals and the lack of supply, as you just outlined. It'll be interesting to follow along with the good doctor, but I want to pivot back to gold real quick, just on a technical basis, because we've made this point, and we even talked about this before this call today, Robert, that really since, if you think about it, The end of November, gold has been hovering above 2000. It did dip briefly below it, I think, in November and maybe once in December. But for the most part, it's been holding the 2000 line and it's been above 2000 for a longer period of time than anybody's ever seen. The last couple times it got up over 2000, it was a brief incident where it jumped up and then immediately pulled back down. This time it's building, I guess, a base above that 2000 level. And we ended the year last year with the highest weekly close, monthly close, quarterly close, and annual close, so it seems like from a technical basis, that's a pretty strong setup, and yet it seems like the sentiment in the gold space is pretty low due to the mining stocks, but when you look at gold itself, just on a technical basis, how do you see the setup, and is it likely we see it break above that line in the sand around 2100 and really blast higher this year?
1: Yeah, I- I don't have a crystal ball for like the near term in terms of gold breaking above 2100. I definitely think odds favor a breakout above 2100 at some point in the year. The chart technicals look very constructive. And as you said, we've been consolidating above 2000 for many, many, many weeks. And even with the putrid sentiment backdrop, gold remains Resilient and I think that's what you really need to have your as your takeaway at the end of the day You know, I have never seen this big a divergence. I've been following gold and mining stocks for 21 years I've never seen this big of a divergence between market price action and Investor sentiment investor sentiment is pretty horrendous save for those handful of speakers on the the stage there in Vancouver that are bullish on gold just because it's, it's what they do. There's not a lot of people who are bullish on gold in the world, and especially big money managers have virtually zero gold exposure. So it's a very interesting setup here. And, you know, again, we see this jobs, blowout jobs report, blowout tech earnings, all things that you would think would be extremely bearish for, you know, for gold. Yeah, it's down 20 bucks an ounce. And that's after going up 40 bucks an ounce the prior three days. So at the end of the day, it's treading water, marking time in a range when everything that I've known to understand about how gold trades the drivers of it are saying it should go down. So it's very interesting. and, And I don't, I don't, espouse to have all the answers here to, to, to what is going to actually drive this. But it, it seems to me there is a bid in this market. There is a bid in this market. And my guess, it is that central bank bid. And they, and they are accumulating gold for, for very good reasons.
0: Yeah, that was what was going through my mind as you were talking, that that bid, probably the central banks, and it has been for the last year or two, some very strong central bank demand We actually saw strong central bank demand and a high gold price while there were gold outflows from the ETFs last year. So that was a strange environment, too. It just shows that maybe not as much retail as there is on the big boy side of things. But it's kept a bid in the precious metals price. When you look at something like silver, a lot of the mining stocks actually have like GDX has a 97 percent correlation to silver and silver has been stuck in the muck. It's a very messy chart, as we talked about last time. I don't think we're going to see giant moves in the mining stocks until silver puts on its dancing shoes. And by the way, I got to ask you about silver, Robert, because I did post a repost of your talk from the myth and people said, the only two metals you need, gold and copper, where's the silver? Where's the uranium? (laughs) And so I got to ask you, how does the, you know, when you look at silver, when you look at the mining stocks, the more speculative side, what's it going to take to get that part of the precious metals sector moving?
1: I mean, I, I got no hate for silver, but I think that also silver is overloved by a certain segment of investors, the, the silver squeeze crowd. At the end of the day, like think back to the times in history when silver had parabolic moves. It was 2010, 2011, and then it was like the late 70s, early 80s. Late 70s, early 80s was very, very high inflation in the U.S. and concern about the dollar. 2010, 2011 was QE to infinity and also a very weak dollar, right? So those are the factors. Like silver needs a falling dollar. Like silver needs concern about the you know reserve currency. At the end of the day, silver is just not that terribly interesting as much as a lot of people would like it to be yeah it's a metal just like gold is a metal it serves some purposes but central banks don't buy silver and so all those things that you know the silver the gold to silver ratio needs to drop to 30 to 1 because of this blah 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 it's just i don't buy that those theories Uh, basically the entire time that i've been an investor the gold-silver ratio is basically oscillated between the low 60s and like 100. So that seems to be the appropriate range. So silver bulls want to see gold break out to new highs. Gold bulls want to see silver start to outperform because it's good for both metals. And really, when those things happen, it's usually because the dollar is falling.
0: Well, let's also talk about the beleaguered mining stocks, because to your point and to a lot of people's point, it's a really big disconnect. It's been a big disconnect. Really, you could argue for the last couple of years because it, even when gold was breaking out to 2000 in 2020, we did see a big move in the mining stocks for sure, but there, it wasn't as big of a move in many of them and it never got to the same highs they got to in 2016 when gold only got to 1375. And then ever since then, it's been like a little rubber ball bouncing lower and lower. You've seen GDX, GDXJ, the mining stocks, the mid tiers, the majors, get a little boost every time gold shot up to uh, over 2000, like in 2022 and early 2023. But in the juniors, some of them didn't bounce at all. So there may not even be any bounce to their balls. So we're looking at a junior mining space and an overall precious metals mining sector. That's, like you say, pretty bad sentiment. How are you looking at it technically, if you look at the ETFs? And how are you looking at some of the sector leaders, some of the big boys in the space?
1: Yeah, I'll just keep it simple. Let's talk about Newmont, right? The the, the biggest one. I did an interview with Kitko in Vancouver and I, I stuck my neck out and I said, look, I'm going to buy a Newmont right here at $34 a share. Stop loss under 30. If it drops under 30 in the next several weeks, I'm wrong. If it jumps back up to 40, then I'm right and I'm, and I'm a super smart guy and, and I can forecast things far into the future. I was looking really smart at the close on Thursday, Shad. It was a thirty-five sixty, And I was like, wow, I'm up 4%. This is great. And now I'm feeling pretty stupid again here this morning. It's 33-94. But you know what? Forget about all the mumbo-jumbo about sentiment. Yeah, sentiment's awful. Forget about what's going to bring investors back. At the end of the day, Newmont's a stock. It's a company that reports earnings every three months. They need to generate good results, they need to run their operations tighter. They need to keep costs in line. They need to beat the forecasts and the guidance that they put to the market. They need to perform. These companies need to perform. They have not performed for years now. The last time I saw a good quarters out of these big companies was in 2020. So it's been a long time. They can make all the excuses they want. At the end of the day, the market is, what have you done for me lately? Money goes to where it's treated best. These companies have not treated investor money well. Newmont will report earnings in three weeks, February 22nd. Mark your calendar. Let's see if they can actually have a good quarter for once. The only way the sentiment starts to change, yeah, gold price rising is great, but These companies need to perform. They need to report good results. So let's see the earnings from Barrick, from Newmont, from Kinross down the line. Let's see if they can actually surprise to the upside for once.
0: That would be nice, Robert, to see an upside surprise (laughs) in the earnings reports when they come out. I guess just as we wrap up, there's a lot of investors that, as you know, have been in the hurt locker when they've been investing in the precious metal sector or even in copper stocks and even in the base metals and critical mineral stocks hasn't been a really great year for the last year or so unless you were in uranium stocks. Now, for those people that have maybe gotten positioned, they're underwater on their junior stocks or maybe they're in the ETFs or whatever they're in. What advice would you have for them on the psychological side of trading that, you know, the part between your two ears that is the most important part as a trader to navigate the waters we're in. And as we roll into the meat of 2024, what advice would you give those investors?
1: Well, number one, don't risk more than you can afford to lose. If you're losing sleep over losses in your stock portfolio, then you're doing it wrong. Then Never use margin, period. I mean, that's how you can lose everything. And then, you know, to to give a little confidence to, you know, people who are along gold mining stocks here or silver miners, at the end of the day, when stocks stop going down on bad news, on what's supposed to be bad news, as sentiment is completely washed out like it is now. So So we have this setup here. The gold miners, yeah, they're not rallying hard, but they're not. Most of them are not making new lows. Even Newmont, which is probably the worst one, it's still not breached its November low. Okay, so fingers crossed it doesn't. So they're not making new lows. All the news is really bad, quote unquote, for gold. The economy is super strong. The Fed's not cutting. Right. So that's bad news. You know, we've even got talk of peace deal in Palestine or, you know, Ukraine. It's not confirmed, I don't think, but there is definitely talk of that. The stocks are not making new lows, you know, despite the fact this is the most hated sector of the stock market. So if you have a contrarian mindset, not a bad idea to have some long exposure to, you know, to this sector here. And if you have a bullish, view of gold long term, then that's just a big bonus. But at the the end of the day, I just go back to what I said previously. These companies need to perform. They need to run their operations more efficiently, more effectively, and they need to generate shareholder value. So that's the best thing that could possibly happen to bring money back into the gold mining sector.
0: All right, Robert, we'll wrap it up there. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the gold mining stocks and silver mining stocks perform. In the quarters to come and if they can start showing the market that they have valid businesses a lot of them are making money but their costs have crept up and they've had a lot of headwinds we'll see how it goes but hopefully we have a better year in 2024 than we did in 2023 but hope is not a strategy so i appreciate you laying out some of the strategy in this call and if people like getting robert's thought we're going to put a couple of links down below to some of the different channels that he shares his work and analysis on. And Robert, it's always great having you on the KE Report. Always looking forward to our next conversation.
1: Thanks a lot, Chad. I appreciate it.